The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading today comes from John 20, verses 1 through 19. Now on the first day of the week, Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and she saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping at the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And then she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Thank you. I appreciate all of our scripture readers from this past week. Friends, welcome to the best day of the year. I love Easter. It's a time to reflect and to be joyful and to celebrate that what we believe in is actually true. Despite all year how we haven't felt like it was true. We get to celebrate the fact that Jesus conquered death. He took your death and he took my death. And he gave us life. What we believe is true. Friends, if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity ceases to exist. If it didn't happen, then us gathering online is a waste of our time. We're to be pitied above all people. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be pitied. So let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word. Let's pray. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? What a delight it is 
to get to read and study and be encouraged about the work of your son, Jesus. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you'll make us alive, that you'll comfort us, that you'll encourage us, that you'll fill us with a sense of hope. Father, please bless the preaching of your word for the sake of your son, Jesus, that he might be famous throughout all the earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Some of you may have heard the story of Ted Williams, one of the very most famous baseball players. In 2014, he became famous again because his kids were gonna use cryonics to freeze his body. In fact, the Boston Herald told an article kind of detailing Claudia's story, his daughter. Talks about the book that she wrote and she talks about the fact that it was her lifelong dream to please her dad, but he was mostly absent, often difficult, and clearly preferred her older brother, John Henry. The article goes on to say the children of the Red Sox legend, Ted Williams, didn't truly believe at the time they sent their father's body off to cryonics lab that they would all awake from suspension and be reunited at some time in the future, his daughter writes. But they did it because they couldn't bear the thought of losing the splendid splinter forever. Claudia says this, there is, it's no different from holding the belief that you might be reunited with your loved ones in heaven. Our father knew we needed something to hold on to for hope and comfort and when we missed him the most, if cryonics was the answer, the solution was simple. She writes this. No one would ever spend over $100,000 and subject themselves to public outrage and ridicule for someone they don't dearly love. There was no ill intent or devious plan. Cryonics was like a religion, something that we could have faith in. Do you hear the sadness, this relationship with her father that she so longed for and never got? And cryonics gave her this, this sense that maybe, maybe there's something more. Because she couldn't bear the thought of losing Ted Williams forever. Friends, that's what Mary is experiencing on this Easter morning. Mary Magdalene has been cured from seven demons that were inside of her. And she's been healed by Jesus so much that she devotes her life to Him. She's at the crucifixion. She's at the resurrection. She's there to pour oils and spices on Him to treat the body. And she can't bear the thought that Jesus is gone forever. And so she weeps and wails. And that's where we find it. This sense where grief and hope clash in the same place. That's where Mary is on this morning. Friends, maybe that's where you are. Maybe in these weird and strange times, there's this sense where you're living in grief and anxiety and fear and depression. This sense of what could the future, what could hope even look like anymore? 
And because of the resurrection, hope clashes with our grief. It promises us something more. Because if Jesus can deal with even death, then He can bring hope into our darkest of circumstances. We all struggle to believe in times like this, but because of the resurrection, we can be comforted that it's all true. It's all true. Let's look at this story of Mary. In John's version, he says, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she panics. She thinks someone has stolen Jesus' body, that somebody has moved it without asking, and that she's lost him sort of a second time. It's insult to injury. She watched him die. She watched where he was laid. And now she can't even have the body. And she's grieving. The word in the text is sobbing and wailing. It's the same thing that the grievers outside the tomb of Lazarus are doing. They're wailing. One of my favorite commentators says this, Her eyes were red from weeping and sleepless Sabbath nights. Women at the tomb, perhaps to bring more spices, perhaps just to weep, perhaps just to be there, because there was nowhere else to be. Nothing else to do, nothing else mattered, nothing else would ever matter again. And yet Mary goes there, expecting death, and instead she finds life. Have you ever seen someone wail? It's sort of sacred, and yet it's so uncomfortable to be around. In the last six months, we as a church have been through a lot of death. We lost Ted Strawbridge, tragically. And then eight days later, we lost Elizabeth's brother, Ryan. And I was so quiet that week. It was just too much, it was too overwhelming. And when I went to Elizabeth's brother's funeral, we would walk and wait through the visitation line. And one of the people there, so undone by Ryan's premature death, this young man, this young husband and father, so undone, she wailed aloud. I'm talking raising her voice and weeping aloud. And there was something strange and powerful and beautiful in it even. It's as if she was crying aloud. It was her voice was reminding all of us of this death, of this ugliness. And we all just sort of froze and listened. It was reminding us of just how powerful grief and loss can be. Wailing communicates that all is lost. Friends, have you ever felt that? Have you ever thought, my business is going to have to close, all is lost? Or I've lost my spouse, all is lost. Or I've gotten sick, now all is lost. It's right to wail with Mary about the brokenness of this world. It's right to grieve with her. She shows up as an act of devotion and she wails as an act of devotion, meaning this shouldn't have gone this way. 
And yet there's hope. We do see that there's hope. You see the confusion of the disciples. Look with me in verses 8 through 10. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. The disciples, Mary comes and gets them and they sprint. They run towards the tomb. And John actually believes. He says right then, that's when he believed what Jesus had said was true. It's, it's subtle, but it's in there. Did you see it? Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. The author of this story is telling you, that's when I knew. That's when I knew. And yet he doesn't communicate that right then. And we don't know if Peter gets it right then. And somehow Mary Magdalene doesn't get the message right then. And in fact, they just go home. It's as if it's too wonderful for them to even accept, to, for them to evil, even be able to take in. You see, the disciples are doing what they do best, which is stumble. We see it in Mark 16 where it says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Do you see it? It's like they're saying, um, where are all those dudes who followed him for the last three years? They don't even believe. They're locked away. They followed Jesus for years. They said they would die for him. That they would never leave him. That they didn't fully get it. And that's such a kindness of Jesus to put these stories in. If it's hard for you to believe, if it's hard for you to get it, if it's hard for you to take it in, if it's hard for you to accept it, the news is too good, it's too big, it's too sweeping, I can barely make sense of it, or the story is too old and I'm not sure I can trust the Bible. If it's hard for you to believe, friends, it was hard for all of them to believe. The people that followed him around for three years didn't get it. These women who had become so important to him, they didn't believe. They came to treat a dead body. They didn't believe. If it's hard for you on this Easter Sunday, in the midst of the world seemingly falling apart, to believe you are in good company, it's always hard to believe. We see that here even in the text. Jesus has mercy for those who doubt. We see that when he addresses Thomas. He says peace to his brothers when he finds them. We see that Jesus has peace for doubters. But then we see the good news. The resurrection of Jesus. In verses 8 and 17. And I want you to see this. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw, and he believed. So that's the first one who believes. 
And then look with me in 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Do you hear how his language has changed? It's the first time he calls them my brother. It's this sweet moment where Jesus has done and accomplished all that he had came to do. He's never called them my brothers before, as Spurgeon points out. He's never called them that before. But not only he calls them brothers, he's conquered death. The sun is shining. There's life in the world again. He's conquered death. And then he says, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Do you hear what he does? It's this beautiful moment in the text where he is actually saying, because of the resurrection, because I vanquished death, my dad, father in heaven, is now your father in heaven. My God, the one who created and sustained all things, is now your God. Friends, isn't that so beautiful? When you feel so distant from God, when you are ashamed or when you're suffering, when you're hurting and when you're doubting, that you have the sense that God is now your God. Jesus' Father is now your Father. It's this beautiful sense of death being washed away with real life. In my house recently, we've been listening to a lot of Drew Holcomb and the neighbors. There's a song that he sings that just reminds me of this moment where he says, Laughter is the only thing that'll keep you sane. This world is dying. More and more every day. Don't let evil get you down. In this madness spinning round and round. I want you to live forever. Underneath the sky so blue. Some people say that faith is a childish game. Well play on children like it's Christmas day. Sing me a song. Sing me a melody. You can sing out loud because you're a symphony. I want you to live forever underneath the sky so blue. Now, I don't know exactly what he intended when he wrote this, but what I can tell you is that that's what Jesus is telling Mary right here is now, because of his death and his resurrection, she will live forever. Underneath the sky so blue. That's what you're actually offered in the gospel. Is that Jesus' life now becomes your life. And your life is hidden in Christ with God. What Jesus will get and be awarded in heaven is yours. Can you imagine news better than that? That death will be washed away. It will be an old, distant, faint memory. And you will be a child of God who doesn't experience shame or pain or hurt anymore. The death is far away. You see the beauty and the irony of the scriptures? Remember way back in Adam and Eve? It was in a garden that death entered the world. And here, where is Jesus? Bursting forth in glorious day, stepping out of the tomb in a garden... Death enters the world in a garden, and death is conquered in a garden. 
One of the other passages says, don't be alarmed. He said, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. It's Mark's version that says that. Go tell my disciples and Peter. You see, Peter, his gospel is sort of him telling it to Mark and Mark writing it down. The gospel of Mark is hard on Peter. Peter has in this moment this go go tell his disciples and Peter. And can you imagine? Peter has denied him three times. Peter said, even if all fall away, I won't fall away. And then he denies him to a, a little girl. He denies him. And the rooster crows. Can you imagine those days of Peter living with shame that I've messed up? I've turned my back on my best friend. I've done what I said I would not do. I've sinned and I can't fix it. And then Mark says, go tell the disciples and Peter. You see, Peter got it is that he messed up, but Jesus didn't. Peter wasn't faithful, but Jesus was. Jesus doing it right covers over Peter doing it wrong. And friends, that's what you have in the gospel. For all the things you said you wouldn't do. For all the things you said, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to lay this down. I'm not going to be addicted to this anymore. For all the regrets of things you could have done better. Words you should have said softer. What we have here is one who did it right. And one who did it right for people who do it wrong. Like Peter and like me. I love how Mark's gospel ends. It actually really ends in verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out of the tomb and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to no one because they were afraid. The best news in the history of mankind. And they said nothing to no one because they were afraid. Can you imagine what grief and hope clashing together looks like? You see... In Christ, you are offered to be God's son or daughter. That's what you get. This is from Exodus 4.22. It's from a long ways back. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So now I will kill your firstborn son. You see, even way back in the Exodus, God saw His people as His Son. His children that He was gathering to Himself. And in fact, He sends His own Son to be killed so that we might have life. In Jesus, you have a new Father. You have a new God. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are to be found false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead, but He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are to be pitied. Paul was saying this to a group of people who thought that they could still hold on to bits of Christianity, bits of the story, without believing in the resurrection. And Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, we should all go home. But we have this beautiful picture, this beautiful morning, this beautiful story, that it did happen. If you were making up a story in the ancient world, you would have never made it up like this. You would have never made it up like this. You wouldn't have your primary witnesses be women because in that time, in that culture, women were marginalized. They couldn't even testify in court. You wouldn't have made it up. You wouldn't have told it this way unless, in fact, it happened this way. The resurrection is real and it's true. And it deals with our weeping and our wailing. It says this in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Do you see it? It's when he swallows up death forever. He deals with all of our tears. He takes away our disgrace. But friends, what I want you to see in that is we, the resurrection people, don't have to walk around disgraced anymore. We've been set free, no more staring at our shoes. We've gotten to experience the fact that we are loved and that God is so not embarrassed of us that He came and He eats death. Meaning He takes it into Himself. He deals with the one thing that covers all nations, that enfolds all peoples. He takes the death so we can enjoy the banquet. Friends, if you're listening to this and you don't know where you're at, come to the feast. Nothing will ever give you more life or more hope than coming to this feast of a God who would take our most serious problem and deal with it with his most loved possession, his son. Come to the feast. And if you are a Christian, you are a believer. Jesus has taken away your disgrace. Live like it. Smile like it. Love like it. We don't have to hide anymore. We can be honest and vulnerable about all of our many disgraces because they have been dealt with forever in an empty tomb. And then he tells Mary, Go. You see it in verse 13. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. Standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He says, Go to my brothers and tell them. Go to my brother. She's actually the very first missionary. She's the very first sent one. Go and tell the good news. She says, they have taken away my Savior. And we felt that too. You've experienced loss. You've experienced things being taken from you. And for you, it wasn't a Savior in a grave. But you've taken hits. And you've taken losses. And that's hard. And that's sad. But when you take those losses to the king, you experience the good news that it's not lost forever. Your story is not lost forever. He sends Mary Magdalene and says, Go and tell everyone. Go tell the disciples. And I love this. Look with me. In 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And then he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Can you imagine that? Go tell the disciples. Go and tell them it's happening. I'm alive. Everything is going to get better forever. And he finds them locked for fear of the Jews. What we see is that even though Jesus has raised from the dead, even though Jesus has power even though Jesus can use evil things and bring good out of them, we still doubt, we still struggle. His best friends were still locked in a room together. What that's supposed to make you understand and me understand is that even though things are hard, even though things are confusing right now, even though things are scary right now, we can have hope because Jesus comes to us and says, peace. When we're doing what we shouldn't be doing, he comes to us and says, peace. Because of what I've done, children, you're safe. Even when you doubt, you're safe. Even when you run off to other things, you're safe. Because of what I have done, Jesus says. Paul says it this way, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up 
and victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He conquered death for you. We'll close with two stories. My friend is about to take his daughter to Disney World for the first time. And there's this thing called the Disney Reveal, which is when you tell your kids that they're going to Disney World, you film it and to get their reaction. In fact, it's become such a thing. Disney now uses those reactions to advertise coming to Disney World. But he realized if he did a reveal for his daughter, she wouldn't get it yet. You see, to care that you're going to Disney World, you have to have seen the movies. You have to have been caught up in the story. You have to have seen the heroes, seen good, overcome evil. And so they sat down and they watched the stories and they talked through them. You see, you have to prep someone to know the stories so that they can experience the reveal. And then you get to mention there's a place that you can actually go. You can actually go and experience this story. Friends, that's what we're called to do. Our culture so badly needs to know of the risen Jesus. But we have to prep the people. They don't understand our stories. They don't understand our heroes. We don't look at them shamefully because of that. We look at them as if we're inviting them to the greatest place they ever get to go, where our God will be their God and our Father will be their Father. But we do this through love and through relationships and with patience. We do this for a lifetime. Tim Keller tells the story of Edgar Allan Poe, his most famous poem, The Raven. It's a dark poem, Keller says. It's about this man who is sort of bereaved in a way because he's broken up with a girl named Lenore. And he's trying to figure out, do I get her back? Do you know? Do I have to move on? Will I ever be happy again? And then this raven comes in and it sits on nearby. And it just keeps saying one word over and over again. You remember what the word is? Nevermore. Nevermore. Keller says that it gets across with frightening pithiness. What life is about at least, where it seems to be about, that's the irreversibility of life. When things are gone, they're gone. It's seemingly irretrievable. When you're young, then you get old and your youth is seemingly gone forever. Keller says this, it's irretrievable. That I'll never get back again. And in some ways, the irretrievable seeming to you is like a death in the midst of life. And the older you get, the more they can just suck the life out of you, out of your life, the more joy it'll take away from you. It's like when I lose something, it's gone, it's just gone. But do you realize what the resurrection is? Is a promise. Even religious, religions that promise you a kind of spiritual future, spiritual bliss, that's only consolation for what you've lost. 
Do you hear that? Religions that promise you a kind of spiritual future bliss. It's only a consolation for what you've lost. But the resurrection is the restoration of what you've got. Restoration of what you've lost. You don't just get your body back. You get the body you always wanted. You don't just get your life back. But you get the life that you always wanted that you never had. Keller goes on to say this, and I want you to hear him. He says, I know there's people in my church, because they've been faithful, because they've said, I'm not going to marry that somebody, unless that person can be a spiritual partner to me. There's people who, because they're being faithful in a way, are probably never going to get married. Never going to get married. So what should they say? I'll never have that joy. I'll never have that. I'm too old now. Nobody's going to marry me now. I've lost that, you know. It's gone. What the resurrection is walking proof that you will miss nothing. There's going to be a real wedding feast. There's going to be real wine. For those of you who have experienced loss and you've said my opportunity is gone, irretrievably gone, the resurrection says to you, you're going to miss nothing. It's all coming in the future. It's going to be so wonderfully imaginable, unimaginably wonderful, Keller says. There's no religion, there's no faith, there's no philosophy. No one has ever offered that world this world, that kind of future, that it's personal and it's certain and it's unimaginably wonderful. And it's based on the historical fact of the resurrection. Friends, when you put your trust in Christ, His Father becomes your Father. His future becomes your future. And you will never miss anything. What a glorious hope when our world feels so needy. Let's pray. Father, I am in awe of the beauty of your son, Jesus. And because of Jesus, you're my father now. My father. My God. Help me to live with a smile on my face because that's true. And help me to share that smile with people who so desperately feel like they're missing out on something. Help the warmth of your church to be medicine to lonely, weary souls. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.